0: If you think about coal jobs going away and other fossil fuel jobs and so forth, there is such a great story in the clean energy sector and how many jobs are being created there. So the, the best way to speak to that audience would be to show them how their skills could apply to that new role and to help them get there.
1: Welcome to the Esri in the Science of War podcast. You just heard business and technology journalist, Heather Clancy, speak to the relationship between sustainability and economic recovery, a critical area of focus in her role as editorial director of the Green Biz Group. Here, Esri chief scientist Don Wright lead a fascinating conversation about how businesses are collaborating with the science community and leveraging technology to embrace sustainable practices, create new jobs, and protect the planet. Welcome everyone to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And I'm very, very happy to be talking to my new friend, Heather Clancy, the editorial director of Green Biz Group.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Don. It's great to be here. Let's focus
1: first on uh, Green Biz. I was wondering in your role as editorial director uh, to drive transformation and accelerate progress at the intersection of business, technology and sustainability, Let's uh, try to orient our audience a little bit. So can you give us uh, an example of what does that mission look like in practice?
0: GreenBiz, I mean, just a, a, just a brief thumbnail on it. It's not consumer site. It's a business to business site. So we really focus on how businesses can enable each other. Frankly, the technology industry, has a, a very large role to play in, in this intersection because not only do they themselves have to become more sustainable as businesses in their operations, but they're also looking at ways to use their technology for good. And, and the way that it can be used to sustainability isn't just to let make things less bad, but that it can actually do good, right? It can help others. It can get us more forward in terms of this, this climate fight that we're fighting.
1: Well, let's switch gears now to media. GreenBiz, we understand, is uh, is a media company, and this is a, a fascinating, if not wild, time to be in the media business in this era of so-called fake news. What are your thoughts on how people can ensure that the information that they're reading, that they're listening to, and that they're watching is reliable?
0: You know, for me. I look very carefully at who's telling me some data. So what is it? Who was it? When was it conducted? Why was it conducted? Is it part of a regular body of, of work? Was it done for an opportunistic reason to understand um, something? So Greenbus has lots of events. So we, we often have these folks that we know are champions of this cause, but we don't spend enough time listening to the ones who aren't the champions and, and understanding why. That could be another politician that doesn't agree with us. But more importantly, it, it could be someone who's lost their job because of the corporate sustainability movement. Why did that person lose their job? You know, Did you not think about the unintended consequences? And frankly, the other thing that I'm being more, far more adamant about is, is including more voices from communities that we haven't represented in the past, Um, whether that's Latinx person, a black person, we do not have enough diverse voices in in this community. And that's something that I've been very adamant about as far as um, my own organization and how we gather information.
1: I love that you are a self-proclaimed technophile, planet lover (laughs) and entrepreneur fan. (laughs) How did you become interested in these three unique areas?
0: Um, So I've been involved in the technology world for a long time, and I've always been very fascinated with how technology could be used to advance society, to advance education, to advance all of the different things that we try to solve as humans. So that's what makes me a technophile. The environmental movement has long looked at the corporate sector with suspicion, rightly so. Rightly so. There's been a lot of damage wreaked by companies over the last several decades, but companies have a a very critical role to play in leading us to a better place and in taking action on this climate crisis that we're in.
1: Are there any uh, technologies that are doing a really good job at addressing, say, uh, climate change?
0: Yeah, I've mentioned AI, and that Mm -hmm. definitely, I think, is one of the most important ones, because it allows us to automate and find connections that we couldn't necessarily find before. But I think that mapping technologies and imagery and the ability to see these. People are visual, right? They need to see, wait, how has that changed? How has that flood map changed over time? Wait, where in the ocean is it getting hotter? To be able to see those connections using advanced satellite imagery, using these geographic information systems, using our historical data, using AI to to make those connections and be able to accelerate the processing of that. Super important. I am also fascinated by blockchain. The way I try to describe it to, to my friends who are really tech, technophobes <laughs> mm-hmm. is that it's a, it's a ledger, right? It's really a, a way of keeping track of a, a transaction and And basically adding data along the way and it's secure, which is cool because you can't really tamper with it. And that's the, you know, that's the good, the good of it, but it could be used for so many different things. It could be used for uh, rationalizing energy transactions, like from a solar panel to someone in a, in a corporate campus that wants to use that, that energy. It could also be used to track carbon emissions, right. In a more real time and again, verifiable way. You have a lot of uh, corporations that are saying, oh, yeah, we're going to use more recycled plastic in our products. Well, you can actually start tracking that using blockchain. How much content is here? Is this the right content? Is it, again, is it, where did it come from? Where in, that, in the chain did that plastic come from? It could also be used for, um, to track the provenance of food, to make sure it's safe, uh, to make sure that the people were paid a living wage in order to produce it for you. Um, it could be used in fashion. To, to help you know, understand if a product is degrading, take that product back again, bring it back to the source, recycle it, recirculate it, and put it back into a circular economy. So the tons of, and probably the reason we're not hearing about it so much is probably it went through its hype cycle. Now it's in its proof point phase, right? So people are piloting and trying to scale yeah. this and figure out where to go.
1: Speaking of, of business, let's talk about uh, business and climate change because it's usually the case that where uh, great crises emerge, uh, great opportunities present themselves. And to that end, we recently had a great conversation with climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, and she, she made this point about the relevancy of climate change to people is really about relaying how urgent this issue is. What are your thoughts on this? How can we help to Amplify the relevance for people, meeting them where they're at within the media ecosystem of Green Biz.
0: The environmental movement hasn't done a very good job of of making that link in the past. And and that's really what the climate justice movement is really building out of. And it's been always divorced of the human impact. There is such a great story in the clean energy job sector and how many jobs are being created there. So the, the best way to speak to that audience would be to show them the opportunities. And to show them how their skills could apply yeah. um, to that new role and to help them get there. There's so much disruption. There's so many millions of jobs that have been lost, some of which will never come back. And right now, one of the best stories would be where those jobs lie. If you're talking about, like, for example, the plastic waste issue, there's so much investment that we need to make in, in infrastructure for recycling amazing industry that could have relevance everywhere, not just one state, I could blab on forever about the opportunities that lie in things like plant-based products, plant-based food, the production capabilities around that, and carbon tech, right? The idea of taking a construction industry, I think one of the best stories for the construction industry right now would be to help them understand how they could take that carbon in the buildings, all these buildings. It's like, I think it's a third, I think that's the figure that people flow around. It's a third of the emissions that we produce. Helping um, talk to people about what's in the building, what's, what's in your home that could be uh, contributing to the problem and what could you do with, that's part of the solution? Those are our
1: things in space, but particularly for those of us who are geospatial, we think about time too, space and time. Do you have any ideas in terms of how far into the future businesses should look when thinking
0: about and preparing for these kinds of climate change strategies? You have to think in the moment, but you have to think a year ahead. You have to think. You have to think out to that twenty fifty time frame, but you also have to focus on that short term. One of the reasons in, in this particular movement that there's been sort of skepticism is because. There have been so many commitments um, and with a very long-term window, like we're going to do this by 2030. Okay. But then there's like crickets, silence, like what's (laughs) happening? You know, did did you make it? Did you not make it? If you didn't make it, why there's the, the the transparency needs to increase on, on the goal, no matter when it's set.
1: And we, we appreciate this uh, transparency whenever uh, businesses come right out and say, Uh, what they're doing, and on what time frame. Uh, I've heard recently that McDonald's made headlines when uh, this company teamed with uh, Cargill, Target, and the Nature Conservancy to put $8.5 million toward helping Nebraska farmers cultivate regenerative uh, agricultural practices over the next five years. Can you tell us a bit about what regenerative agriculture is and why big companies like this would want to invest in something like this?
0: Yeah, so regenerative agriculture, that that adjective gets used a lot right now, right, mm-hmm. is how do you put things back into the, the planet that you've taken out. Um, but really, it means going back to practices that that are very familiar from our past, you know, no-till farming, cover crops, planting crops that uh, could put nutrients back into the soil, irrigating in a different way. But there's, there's a lot of practices that are used by organic farmers that could be applied more holistically to larger fields. There's a movement right now in the food industry to do this because that also sequesters carbon. The more you do these things, the more carbon you can take out of the atmosphere and put into the ground. And um, one of the biggest uh, focus points for for many companies right now is how do they remove carbon from the atmosphere. It's not just about emitting less. It's about how do you take this stuff out? And regenerative agriculture falls into the, the category of nature-based solutions to this. And that, and that's one reason you see so many big companies investing. So the, the, the long-term vision, and actually not so long-term, I think that this could be in place within the next year, is a marketplace for carbon credits. So a farmer could do these things on their land, measure and verify that they've done them, and get credit for for doing it and get a new source of income. And if you think about uh, an industry and a, a, a sector of, of, the, of the economy that really could use some fresh infusion and, and investment in money, it would be the agricultural sector. I mean, the U.S. farmers are, have been in a world of hurt. This year has been horrible for them and this could be a new source of income. So that's why it's, it's pretty exciting.
1: There is a new initiative which is gaining traction called the One Trillion Trees Initiative, and it's a a tree planting initiative spearheaded by the World Economic Forum and American Forests and backed by our friends at Salesforce and Bank of America and cities like Detroit and Dallas, among many others. In your opinion, is planting more trees an effective response to climate change?
0: it's not so much about planting new trees. It's about planting and cultivating where the forests are now. The thing that I like about the trillion trees movement is that it's got people focused on trees. The thing I don't like about it is is you have all these people running out and planting trees where they aren't already. What we need to do is we need to look at those places that have been damaged by wildfires and figure out how to regenerate those places. We also need to look at our existing forests and find the ones that are understocked and do a better job of managing those.
1: Can you give us an idea of what really is a true net zero pledge?
0: Pretty much every major company that you could name has a net zero pledge now. So... If you think about an organization called Train Technologies, I don't know if you know them, but uh, they're big into the HVAC, so heating, ventilation, air conditioning, so forth, that kind of equipment. What is interesting about their strategy is they also have a a commitment to removing one gigaton of carbon for their customers, right? Mm -hmm. So they're focused on how do they help their customers do that too. So they're looking at their technologies and, and making fixes to their technologies that help their customers Emit less. And then the other one that you have to look at if you're trying to follow and understand net zero is Unilever. Mm -hmm. Because again, they are really focused on their suppliers. So for me, the most credible net zero commitments are the ones that extend out into scope three and that are including a customer or the whole supply chain in the, in the equation. And Unilever is very focused on that to the point of where they're like measuring all of their consumer products with this and trying to figure out where they stand and then looking at non-fossil fuels alternatives to put in them that are recycled plastic or that are a plant-based material. They're like methodically going through their entire product portfolio to do that in collaboration with their suppliers. So that, to me, is a very powerful commitment.
1: So another interesting thing that's going on, according to the UN, 690 million people worldwide went hungry in the last year. That's an abominable number. Uh, Meanwhile, an estimated 1.3 billion metric tons of food, about one third of all the food produced for human consumption, is lost or wasted globally each year. Another abomination. Ah, So it's been suggested that within this, a, a circular economy model, this broken system could be mended. Can you uh, help us to understand that, Heather? What is a circular economy model and how can it help with the problem of hunger and food waste?
0: So right now we're in a very linear world. So someone buys a thing, they use the thing, they throw the thing out. Very linear. In a circular economy, you would buy the thing or maybe you would rent the thing, but maybe you wouldn't own it necessarily. You'd use it for as long as you want as a consumer. Then maybe you'd give it back to the original maker and they could use it in some other way. That's the idea. There's a lot of different models that are happening in the production world, but it, it also applies for food. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. MGM resorts, obviously things are a little bit different right now, but uh, if you think about the, the biggest kind of waste that you have in a, in a food service operation, it would be these massive buffets that you see in Vegas, right? Oh. So where there's all this food. So MGM has put technology into its kitchens um, in many of its resorts that can flash freeze this food as it comes back off the, the buffets, which helps it get to places where they can be where it can be consumed. So in Vegas, for example, it's it's coming back out of the out of the buffet areas and going into the kitchen and then get you know being prepared for food banks. You have to do things to make sure it's safe, right? And that's part of the reason that you have to do something like flash freeze it. But if you get around that obstacle, there's so much that's possible.
1: So this is all very good. It's all very hopeful. And I'm wondering now if we can end on a hopeful, uplifting note. (laughs) So uh, you've mentioned Train and Unilever. Are there other companies or organizations that you are feeling particularly inspired by right now with some additional things that we can learn from, from these companies?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to give a shout out to, in this moment, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm -hmm. The way that they've helped the pharma companies come together to address this vaccine Mm. challenge that we have. It couldn't be done by an organization, I think, that was a commercial organization, And they've really stepped up in this moment, in this COVID moment, um, in ways that are just, it makes me, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. The ability of an organization to be a catalyst for collaboration and to help others succeed, I think is is so important. And one other commercial organization that I would mention would be Ikea. I read a funny headline. It's like, Ikea wants to buy back your bookshelf. Um, Well, so Yeah, that's kind of cool. Because like, if you think about a a disposable economy and the consumable economy that we have, right, there's so much stuff that we all have and that we don't need. And what do we do with it when we don't need it anymore? Ikea is actually on Black Friday this year, started a campaign where you could actually bring things back to their stores and Mm. they'll take it back.
1: And their idea
0: is to help refurbish it and to put it back into circulation for people that don't necessarily have the wherewithal to buy the new stuff. So it creates um, a new customer base for them. It, 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 it handles and addresses some of their waste problems. And um, it's just smart.
1: Heather, that was fantastic. I've learned so much from this conversation with you. Thank you so much for, for everything that you've shared, for your insights, for your passion. And thank you again for, for being on our podcast.
0: It is my pleasure. Thank you, Dawn, for all the work you're doing. So exciting.
1: Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. And thanks to Heather Clancy for explaining how businesses are mobilizing to reduce the impact of climate change on communities. To learn more about location intelligence and solutions for sustainability, visit esri.com.